There he is. All right, love having the kids here, looking for some bingo winners. Um, yeah, you already got two. Look at you guys go. You've got three. Some of y'all are behind. Um, in case you don't know, um, the kids have these cards with words on them that hopefully I'll say at some point. Um, at least I thought I was going to. Um, but you never know what will happen. But they've already heard some in the songs. Um, and I was, I don't know, this morning thinking that... Um, I mean, we don't think about that, but it is. Because, you know, and they're, they're up there, you know, when we sing praise forever to the King of Kings. I mean, that's going on. That was going on before you guys got out of bed this morning, <laughs> for sure. And, and it'll still be going on after you go to sleep tonight. Because uh, there'll be praise forever. Yeah, it's super real. Yeah, sure is. Um, you know, last week, if you were here, <coughs> I know that not all of you were here because there wasn't this many people here. So <laughs> those of you that were here know that we talked about Lazarus raising from the dead, which is pretty cool. Uh, one of my favorite things to preach about. And, uh, you know, and one of the things that I recall The love of God bookends our circumstance, right? Because you never know what your circumstance is going to be from day to day and moment. Bookends your circumstance, surrounds you from the beginning and from the end, and, and nothing catches him off guard, right? Um, last week, Martha said, And he told people, hey, guys, he's just asleep. I'm going to wake him up, and it'll be, it'll be fine, right? Um, and when Lazarus was raised, Mary worshipped while the religious plotted Jesus' death. And a few weeks later, we get to where we are today. Um, but then this week, the disciples, who walked with Christ for three weeks and witnessed his death, and they've heard all this. They watched him walked in despair. Saturday was a whole lot of despair. They lost a lot of hope. Uh, and, you know, what were they going to do? You know, Jesus, if you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. You know, they, had not, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. Um, they were just stuck because every... Everything they put their hope in was that Christ somehow was going to free them from everything that held them down. And uh, so, you know, when Jesus was raised, um, the because they were, they were terrified to determined, committed, and fearless. I'm telling you, only the resurrection will do that to you. I think this is why um, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that's where you consider the end of all things. And we have to consider the end of all things. 
And if when we get to the end of all things in our considering, we recognize that we have a resurrection waiting on the end of that, then all of a sudden we have... <laughs> That's the word. Thank you. Hope. We have hope. And I'll tell you, today the resurrection continues to give extreme boldness for people in the face of unimaginable circumstances. I don't know if you know this or not, but in 2022, at least 360 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's like the population of our nation around the world. High levels of persecution and discrimination to the point of death for at least 5,000 of them. And uh, if you haven't considered the end, then you have nothing in the middle to live for, right? And these guys, they consider the end and they continue to know they have something to live for. Easter, um, it's just a fundamental event. I mean, it's straight up fundamental, which is why I have this baseball glove in case you were wondering. <laughs> it's like, why does he have a baseball glove? Because as I thought about fundamentals, Beckett, thanks for the glove. It's my grandson's glove. Um, I hope I don't forget it. Um, but uh, when I think about fundamentals, then I immediately, you know, you think about sports, right? And there's not an athlete, be it pro level or at t-ball level, that doesn't always work on the fundamentals. I mean, you know, watch the warm-ups of pick your favorite pro basketball player and they're shooting free throws. You would think by now they could do that, <laughs> right? But yet they still have to. And uh, every one of us needs a daily reminder of the fundamentals. And I'm telling you, the resurrection is the most fundamental thing for you to consider and continue to consider and to always consider and to every day consider so that every day it's Easter in your heart, not just today, right? So uh, I hope today that we all leave here strengthening our faith because of the resurrection, because I think Easter is a really big deal, okay? Uh, and it points us to a lot of really cool stuff. Number one, it points us, this is like the wordiest point on the planet, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't find a way to fix it. Easter points us to the greatest improbable reality worth living and dying for. Resurrection and hope beyond the tombstone. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is that. It's, it's a, points to the greatest improbable reality. And in case you're wondering, if you have a Bible and want to know where in the world am I going to be, 1 Corinthians 15. You're like, what? You're not in the gospel? Nope. Today we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's going to be great. Um, so I think that you can wonder, which is one of my favorite things to do, if you know. I love to wonder. Things make me wonder. I wonder about a lot of things, right? Yes, I do, and I, I do. And here's the crazy cool thing to me, is you can wonder for eternity, wonder for eternity about the resurrection and not exhaust the glory of Easter. Okay? I mean, 
you're just like, what does that mean? What are you? Hmm? What? Yeah. Yes. Wonder for eternity, which we can't even wrap our head around. Wonder for eternity, and you will not exhaust the glory of Easter. So maybe we should have Easter more than once a year. I don't know. That'd be cool, right? Who doesn't love chocolate bunnies? Um, so, um, everything. This is the beauty of the resurrection and Easter. Because whether you've thought about it or not, or wondered about it, everything in your life rises and falls on the resurrection. Whether you think about it or you don't think about it, whether you wonder what tomorrow is going to be or this circumstance that I'm in, what does it mean, what's going on, everything goes back to the resurrection for answers. Everything it does. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, 17 to 19 says this, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain, and you really ought to be at the lake, except that it's not really nice out. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, if you have it, is futile. And you are still in your sins if Christ isn't raised. you got to let that sit on you for a second. Um, and I think it doesn't sit on us hard sometimes because we don't really have a great concept of sin. But let me just say, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. And those who have fallen asleep there it comes again because Jesus said that about Lazarus last week. He's asleep. I'm going to wake him up. And that's good promise because those of us who have fallen asleep in Jesus know that we'll be awakened again. And those of our loved ones who have fallen asleep, they will wake up. Mm. Yeah. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. And then when you think about the people, those 360 million who have lost so much on behalf of the resurrection, you have to stop and go, I wonder what I'm hoping in in this life. Right? I mean, you really do, people. And Because uh, without the resurrection, you have no message to preach, no scripture to depend on. Without Scripture to depend on, you have no foundation for your faith. And if Christ is not raised, you have no hope for your trial. And your faith, guys, is only going to be as solid as the object in which it's placed. Every one of you are fabulous people of faith because you trusted the chairs I arranged. <laughs> and you sat on them. And I got here early because arranging chairs is just the thing I like to do. I don't know. I'm like, hey, how many chairs can we get in here? 190, it's just so you know. Because um, I counted them. Um, but faith is only as solid as the object in which it's placed. And every one of you didn't even think twice about sitting down. I mean, I didn't see anybody go, well, I don't know about that chair. I'm not sure about that one. You know, plop, down you went. Some of you on the car, on the couches back there, I'm watching. Yeah, I'm watching you girls on the couch and dub. Um, but faith is as solid as the object in its place. So, you know, i got to wonder how solid is the foundation of your faith. You know, so let's just talk quickly about this Jesus that we place our faith in. 
Did you know that he fulfilled more than 324 individual prophecies related to his Messiahship? I mean, you ponder that for 324. Oh, that's, that's a lot. Um, no, 324. This is why this point is the greatest improbable reality worth living for. 324 individual prophecies. According to mathematician Peter Stoner, what a name for a mathematician. You wouldn't expect that, but um, the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies, one in 10 to the 17, and if you understand that, that's 10 with 17 numbers after it, which is either a hundred quadrillion or a quintillion, something like that, okay? It's, I, it's a lot. It's a really, really big number, but if you had 10 to the 17 number of silver dollars, they would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. You got to let that sit on you for a little bit. And then if you took, just choose a child and blindfold them and send them out into the state of Texas to find the one quarter that you've marked and stirred up. And while they're blindfolded, they run out there through wherever in the hill country and they reach down and they pull it up and go, this is the one. And then they take off their blindfold and it is, that's the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. You just have to wonder at that, right? I mean, I don't think any of us, A, would walk all over Texas looking for a silver dollar, but still, um, yeah, what are the chances of getting the right one? But you know, it's the same odds that all of the prophets in the Old Testament could write those eight prophecies and have one man fulfill them. Also, it's the same odds. Just if you like odds, you know, go to Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> but number two, Easter reminds us of the gospel. And we need to be reminded of the gospel because I will tell you this, that sometimes we think about the gospel and we think, oh, the gospel, yeah, that's when I got saved. Yep. No, you need to be reminded of the gospel every stinking day. Can you say that from the pulpit? Um, you need to be reminded of the gospel in every moment of your life. Everything about your life must be related somehow to the gospel and the gospel speaks to it. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever situation you're in, the gospel speaks to it somehow. I promise you, you've got a decision at work to make. The gospel will speak to that somehow, and you will seek the Lord, and he will speak into your life about that. It's just how it is. The gospel reminds us of that. So if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, here we go. I'm going to cruise through some of this. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says... I would remind you, brothers, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, because some of your beliefs might not be really great in vain. Can you imagine? He said, unless you believed in vain. It's like, you know, maybe you just didn't, but anyway. 
But here's why do we have to be reminded? Why do we have to be reminded? I mean, I'll tell you why we have to be reminded because everything in this world is pushing against the gospel. Everything in your, your, I mean, your flesh is even pushing against the gospel. For those who are saved, your flesh is pushing against the gospel. Those that aren't saved, yeah, you're just kind of like, whoa, sorry. You've got a lot pushing against you. But here's the thing. Drift is relentless and it's certain. Drift, it's gradual. You know, if you take two boats, little rowboats, you know, two lovers, they rowed out into the lake, you know, and they're, oh, the moonlight. How we love the moonlight. And you take them out there into the lake, and then they're sitting in their boats, and they're staring at each other, oh, gazing into their eyes. But unless they find a way to tie themselves together, by morning they'll be on opposite sides of the lake. And uh, the wave action of this world will cause you to drift so far from the thing that you have your faith in, Jesus. I mean, look at this picture. In 1956, even New York City celebrated Easter. Yeah, six years before I was born. But in 1956, they lit up skyscrapers with the cross. And today, what's going on? Yeah, we've moved from uh, rejection to open hostility against Christianity in our culture. Because drift is inevitable, unless, of course, you are reminded daily of the gospel. The gospel has to be proclaimed, right? I mean, it's really hard to talk about something you're not amazed by, just so you know. So if you struggle to talk about the gospel, you're probably not amazed by it. Because you can either speak from duty or delight, then I got to ask the question. I mean, who shared the gospel with you? Some of you heard it. You had to have, if you're a believer here today, it's because somebody told you the gospel. Somebody proclaimed it to you, and somebody needs to hear it from you. The gospel must be received, which means to take to, to take with oneself, to join to oneself, to not reject it, and to not withhold obedience. See, receiving it, I mean, you. I possess that. I give this to you. You take it. It's mine. You try to take it back from me? No, I won't give it back to you. And the gospel must be stood in. This is an interesting one. The gospel in which you stand. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached, you received, and in which you stand. Because this is where I think we, we lose ourselves. You know, it's really easy to say, yeah, I received Jesus when I was seven or 10, or 11, or 12, or maybe you haven't. Um, but I received Jesus. And then you're like, all right, good. We're good. Okay. And then you go and sit down over there instead of stand over here in that. And you have a place. You get, you get to choose where you're going to stand. You know, I mean, you've heard people say, where do you stand on such and such? You know, and we get people that will call our church and they'll ask us, so where do you stand on what's going on in the Blah, 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 blah. And we're like, well, we stand in the gospel, people. Where do you stand on this? Um, you know, here's a question for you. Are your opinions on everything informed by the gospel or your favorite news channel of choice? Because you're either standing in the gospel 
or you're standing in the way of sinners. Okay? Listen to Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man who, will, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. So when you make a stand, the question is, is what are you standing for and what are you standing in? Nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The gospel is your only salvation for all the issues you see in this culture. So you can rage at CNN if you want to, you know, or get on Facebook and rant. You'll waste your time, but you can do it. You can rage against whatever, but unless you're actively trying to figure out how to get the gospel into that, you're wasting your breath and your energy. Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel is fundamental, people. It's fundamental. Baseball players every day have to practice batting and fielding and throwing. Basketball players, we've got to practice the gospel every day. You need it. It's, it's just simple. It's profound. And Paul said, you know, I've got to remind you of this. I know that somewhere in my notes is this really cool thought, and I don't know if I missed it, but yeah, I know where it is. I really want to say it now. Um, okay, well, verse 3, he said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. You want to know what the gospel is? Remind yourself of this every day, will you? He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament. You can go through the Old Testament. 320-something prophecies are there. Jesus died according to the Scriptures. We always say, I like the New Testament. You know, The Old Testament's real, and it's the Scripture. And Jesus died according to it. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures you've got to feel the weight of this thomas brooks here it is my dead guy quote for the day <laughs> thomas brooks 1608 to 1680 there is no little sin because there is no little god to sin against yeah that's what i say yeah, just everybody whistle all together. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, there is no little sin because there is no little God to sin against. Your sin, people, are infinite offenses against an infinitely holy God. He was buried. Okay? He was buried. He was put under a Roman guard. Because the religious leaders feared that his disciples would try to steal the body away and that this imposter would somehow gain notoriety. 
And so Pilate said, go ahead. Here's you, a big old group of mean soldiers that will guard it for you, and they'll seal it, and away they go. Jesus was not a partial sacrifice for your sin, right? He was a complete one. He experienced, uh, this is, I can't really, I can't grasp this, but I'll just take it. He experienced the full wrath of God's judgment so you could experience the full weight of God's healing. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All we, all we, okay, you're we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of you and me. The Lord laid on him that no little sin against the no little God was laid upon him because the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God's eternal life. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. You know, he's the only religious leader on the planet. Claims to be alive. Or we say, yep, yeah, ours is alive, yours is not. Um, number three, Easter's based on one glorious fact, not bunnies. <laughs> he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is the point I was looking for. It's like, yes, I want to get here. Um, when Paul is writing this to the Corinthians, stop and think for a second. He's, like, he's writing to the Corinthians who could still dial up, maybe walk down the street, and talk to old Mark. Mark, what was it like when you saw Jesus risen from the dead? Okay? And he still had to remind them of the gospel. Paul said, I have to remind you of the gospel. Even though there were people in the neighborhood that they could have gone and tracked down and said, would you tell us again what it was like when Jesus appeared to you after he was resurrected? Let me say this to you. Um, sometimes we think our faith would be stronger if you know, we saw a miracle. Or if we could just see Jesus, if he would just appear to me right now. And... Uh, I'm telling you it's not true because we have the scripture. We have the word of God that speaks to us. Then it goes on and says, he appeared to James. I think it's interesting. He appeared to James. Last of all, he appeared to me. I'm the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I purchased. Oh, way too soon. Okay. All right. Good job. <laughs> it's like, revival has broke out in Hope Rock Church. That's right. That's right. 
That's right. The resurrection is awesome, bingo. Yeah. So he appeared also to me, and I, I want to, you know, this glorious factor, the resurrection, I just want you to know, there's this guy. If you haven't, if you haven't read this dude, dude, this professor, uh, scholar, um, his name is Gary Habermas. Uh, he's probably the foremost expert on the resurrection. Um, he's just finished like a 4,500-page book on just the facts of the resurrection. I mean, the guy can blow your mind away. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And uh, I'm going to give you four, maybe five facts that he uses to argue for the resurrection. Although he says there's at least 12 minimal, okay, minimal facts arguments for the resurrection, which means these are facts that even atheist scholars accept as true, okay? Four facts that almost every scholar accepts, okay? Stop and think about that for a second. Number one, Jesus died by crucifixion. They don't deny that. At least five ancient sources, non-Christian sources, wrote of the crucifixion of Jesus. Number two, Jesus' disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. Atheist scholars, as well as biblical scholars alike, acknowledge that, yes, the disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. There's at least seven ancient sources that, that verify that. These guys believed Jesus rose from the dead. And so they, they won't argue. They'll concede that point to you. Number three, the church persecutor Paul was suddenly changed. Most scholars believe that one too. They believe that, that Paul claimed to encounter Jesus on a road and was transformed. The skeptic James, the brother of Jesus, was suddenly changed. You know, Jesus' family, except for his mom, they, his brothers and sisters did not believe he was who he said he was. James didn't believe that till after the resurrection. And then he died for it. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? <laughs> My Beautiful. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? And uh, finally waking up after the resurrection to realize well, he's who he says he was. See, we think that a miracle would be it. Or we think if I could just hang out with Jesus, that would convince me. Only the resurrection brings the power that will convince you or any of your lost family. Only the power. And there's a bonus fact. 75% of the scholars accept that the tomb was empty. Okay? They had this little jet, this little jet acrostic. The Jerusalem factor, the enemy attested, the testimony of women. Okay, it happened in Jerusalem, which was like a big center. Because if you're going to perpetuate a lie, you would want to go to someplace like Lano. <laughs> you know, and say, yeah, 
In Lano, Jesus rose from the dead. You wouldn't go right to the center of Austin and say, Jesus rose from the dead here, right? Um, and then you wouldn't ask, you wouldn't have your enemies saying, yeah, yeah, we're pretty sure the tomb's empty. The enemies of Jesus just needed to produce a body, but they had the whole force of the Roman Empire unable to do that. So, and then, sorry ladies, testimony of women, in those days, testimony of a woman was less than the testimony of a thief, and yet the Gospels listed the testimony of women first. Be yeah, come on. Yeah, because... Jesus has done more to elevate women than anybody, but that's a whole other story. Um, so, all the strictly historical evidence that we have is in favor of the empty tomb. And those scholars who reject it ought to recognize that they do so on some other ground than that of scientific history. How about that? Number four, Easter... Okay, yeah, if you got it once, you don't have to tell us again. Um, you only get one bingo, only one prize. Easter calls us. I know we knew we were risking it when we decided to do this, but they might be paying closer attention than some of you. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Good job. Oh, number four, Easter calls us to a daily cross so that we might live. This is such an amazing scripture to me. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. That's the religious people. And on the third day, be raised. So he's told his disciples, this is what's coming, here it comes, this is what's going to happen, it's, it's going to happen, and they're like, good. Okay, you guys have already said bingo 14 times, so you're done. Um, no more prizes for you. Yeah, how about that? Too many bingos, no win. Sorry about you. Happy Easter. <laughs> okay. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Him, Jesus. He began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And I think back to Lazarus and Martha. And when Jesus said, Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? And she said, I know that. God will do whatever you ask and that there'll be a resurrection on the last day. You know, let me remind you what is said in Sunday school. And then you've got Peter who looks at the son of God, the creator of the universe and says, no, 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 no. That's what he said. He said, that's not happening to you. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You have not been reminding yourself of the gospel. Yeah. 
it's a problem because where your mind is set and where you stand with the gospel matters for you every day. So band, come on. This is your moment to make your way. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man, or any of you, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Yeah, we've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would it profit? Yet we, uh, we search for things that are all part of the whole world, hoping that somehow it'll make us feel better about who we are. And Jesus said, what will it profit you to get all that? You know, you can get academics. You can get land, success, and lose your soul. What will it profit you? That's why it's important to go to funerals. Because you think about the end. What shall a man give in return for his soul? Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. have no hope for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of a mighty angel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we always will be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Your only encouragement, folks, is going to be found in the gospel. And I don't know what courage you need to be encouraged for but there is nothing in this life or the next if Christ is not raised it's always Easter in heaven so hopefully all of us recognize that we come to Jesus just like the thief on the cross did hanging there on a cross he turned to the guy that he was crucified with and said 
What are you doing? Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. The reward of your deeds, guys, is death. So, you know, wages of sin is death. But he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's what you have to do. You just have to finally come to the place where you are crucified with Christ and recognize that you won't live unless he says you will live. And so you turn to him and say, please, Lord Jesus, can I go with you? That's how simple it is to be saved. Please, Lord Jesus, can I go where you're going? Crazy enough, he says yes. He won't reject you. He won't. So I don't know. If you're sitting here, you know, being all religious, that's too bad. But if you're like the thief on the cross, that's a beautiful thing. Just trust him. So that you can say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. So that you'll have hope. We're going to stand and we're going to worship. And if you're sitting here saying, yeah, I need somebody to pray with me. I'm struggling. I just want to say yes to Jesus. You don't need me to say yes to Jesus for you, but I'd be happy to come say yes to Jesus with you. Amen. But uh, whatever it is that you need, if you need prayer for something, this is a good time. But just remember that the gospel is fundamental to everything you will do tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock when you show up at the office. It's fundamental to that. Right? It's Easter, 365 days a year. Oh, yeah. Always Easter in heaven.